We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, the Wandri and Bunrong people of the Kulin Nation, and the Eridganji people of Jabagar country, on whose land this podcast was produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present. We recognise the customs, traditions and laws of First Nations people, which existed long before colonisation and will continue long after this current system is dismantled. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be. Aboriginal land. In the heat of the Chilean new constitution is an achievement of the people or pueblo who lost their jobs, eyes, even lives in order to finally achieve equity and decent quality of life. This was a target and her people who stopped fearing the authority and the oppressive forces because they felt they had nothing more to lose. For some people, losing their life is no worse than living the reality of each day in Chile. So yeah, this is a winning for the people. No parties, no politicians, no intellectuals, no elite. The people. Finally, we can start to have the dignity that we deserve. Chile woke up. Yay! Viva Yay! Chile mierda! <laughs> and welcome to a new episode with more democracy from this amazing podcast called Loud, Angry and Not Sorry. It's Daniela speaking and my dear friend. Hi everyone, it's Leah. And we've also got Elizabeth Ton or Gemma with us again today. Hi Gemma. Hi. 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 Hi God. Thank you so much to be with us this No weekend. worries. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm so celebrate, happy. Celebrating this week because I'm so exactly. happy about Chile. Thank you so much. That's why you definitely had to be here to talk about this because it's a really big moment and I think we are more close in history and situations than we think mm. Australia and Chile. So that will be interesting to hear. So for that reason, I think we're going to do a special about the new constitution in Chile, neoliberalism and our relationship with Australia. So for the start, I would like to explain a little bit uh, what happened in Chile the 25th of October, the plebiscite where uh, we vote for a new constitution or keep the same constitution. And we won for a 78%. Actually, it's the most, ex- yes, it's the most <laughs> vote uh, in the history, the most participation ever, even with the no. The no is when we vote that we didn't want Pinochet anymore. It was more people than, uh, than that. So it's, it was huge. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, so happy. And that is actually after almost a year, this explosion of rallies in, in Chile. And so, yeah, we were demanding uh, with different demands. Demands were like against gender violence, free higher education, healthcare, better outcomes, you know, everything. And the other thing that we bought was for the constitutional convention. What is a constitutional convention? So, you not only vote for a new constitution or you don't want a constitution. You have to say, okay, you want a new constitution, so who will do it, right? And that is what the constitutional convention is. We have two options, mixta and constitutional convention. The mixta was 50% parliament, people, politicians that have been doing nothing all these years, and 50% of, you know, people choose by the people. But uh, the constitutional convention is... I'm going to read like something literally that's in Wikipedia, but it says it's a gathering of purpose of writing a new constitution or revising an existing constitution. Members of a constitutional convention are often, though not necessarily, unterrorly elected by popular vote. However, a wholly popularly elected constitutional convention can also be referred as a constitution assembly. That is Chile. So we're going to choose the 100% of the people. And what is the big news here for feminists is for first time in the story of the world, actually, it's going to be the same amount of women and men. 50% women, 50% men. What is amazing. And that's thanks to uh, the hard work of the last four or five years of the new wave of feminism in South America. So actually our slogan for that was never again without women. It's a big moment, but this is just the beginning because there are so many things that can go wrong there. What made this process so beautiful was it was from the people and we, we people as people, we organize and we educate each other. Mm. We, are, we, we were like, why this is bad? Why this is bad? And we say, well, the constitution is wrong. And people start to not read the constitution because I think it's a pain in the ass. Let's read the constitution, <laughs> actually. It's, it is. Like, yeah. everyone, we're going to read it. Yeah. But in a moment, was the book more sell in the country? People was burying the constitution. Wow. And people start to make groups in their own communities to explain the constitution. Why is the problem with the constitution in Chile? I've tried to read the Australian constitution and it's literally no. designed so that you don't want to. 
Of course, well, all, all, all I'm thinking is that the hilarious thing is that I bet you anything is that it would be still a more streamlined process than most small socialist groups in Australia. Because <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've written constitutions with socialist groups who number in about the 15, and it's taken us like three days of solid eight-hour days to put oh a constitution God. together. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I bet you anything that Chile will be even faster. No, but I mean, yeah, it sounds like an extremely complicated process. What do you think that Piñera, what kind of resistance do you think that he will undergo? What possible tactics from US interventionary forces do you think Chile might face from here? Because obviously they've got their fingers all throughout Latin America. We can't rule that out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I th- I don't think Piñera have any re- more relevance in the country, really. Like, he chose the president. He can use the force, but it didn't work for him. So what he can always use is, is fear. Like, they always do that. That's why they send the militaries when we start all the rallies in less than 24 hours and curfews in less than 24 hours because that's the way that they do it, like force and fear, but people is not afraid. So I don't think that he definitely he is a really bad person, a really bad human being. But the big problem always is the parties that back him. And even the most conservative ones are against him because they think he's too soft for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like in the end, Piñera is like by himself. What I'm afraid is the big economical groups in the country. And that is United States. I feel like we're in a moment in the history where, again, we are between a rally of big, big countries, really rich countries, that it could be United States, China, and Russia, and especially China and United States, where they have huge economies. And we are, again, between them. And I feel like this new air of freedom and a new kind of democracy it sounds really scary for the rich ones that owns and control all this elite of laws and rules and everything so what i'm afraid mm-hmm. about it is they can start to block us economically how what ha- happened mm-hmm. in the time of allende like give us troubles you know start to close big business in chile don't want to invest in chile anymore you know and that make like lose a lot of jobs and you know and happen what happened with allende and that's kind of i'm afraid of like mm. because it's still the economical power is too big in chile you know like you still need the money for existing this world because it's how it works mm. so make the economy what... scream again so to speak oof yeah <laughs> Yeah, Because that was the Kissinger quote during the initial coup was, he said, this was a very difficult problem because we cannot buy Allende off, but there is still a chance that Allende might be overthrown. We have to make the economy scream. And so that was the initial stage. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my fear, you know? But I believe in that we are too badass now for be afraid of anything. And the community is the most important. I swear, like for me, it's been the most amazing thing. I feel like there's been a shift in power now. Like with the, the community that's come together and united, it's it's going to be difficult for Pinera to actually combat that. And the people have a mem- the people have a memory of US tactics at this point. You know, they're yeah. still following the same playbook. They followed this exact playbook with Venezuela, with Cuba. They mm. tried to assassinate, you know, <laughs> Castro how many times? And, <laughs> and they tried it more recently in Bolivia as well. So that. They failed there too, right? Yeah. Bolivian um, amazing, eh? The women right. are like so strong aboriginals. They are like there with her flag. How you see that photo? Yeah. Yep. Oof, yeah. You don't mess. Yeah. You don't mess with South American women. Dude. No. You don't no. anymore. Yeah. Anymore. So good. It's beautiful. But yeah, that's don't what's want so that exciting anymore. about it because it feels like a wave of you know revolutionary socialist fervor kind of reigniting. Yeah, so it's really exciting. With a really strong feminist perspective as well, which is really cool. I'm so excited. This wave of feminism is so big in Chile now that Mm. we have not only women, because we don't only want 50% women, we want women that fight for women's rights, you know? Mm. We Mm. know we will have it because now it's different. People is educating, you know, because it's not just that all the things are not staying just in elite that go into university. People actually repeat a speech and hear a speech and understand the speech Mm. differently. So it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And can you explain to Australia fellows like uh, the, because we have a constitution in Chile already that constitution was changed in the 80 by Pinochet in a dictatorship completely illegal that was illegal but it was a dictatorship he can do whatever they want and <laughs> 
why that affects yeah. Chile? Can you explain to your fellow Australians how that works? So Chile was a, a model for the rest of the Western world. Yeah, the coup was a sort of, it was one of the first really to occur. Well, not the first, but it was a, it was a, the beginning of a kind of model for this. And so Nixon himself wasn't a neoliberal in the context of US domestic politics. He actually advocated for stronger welfare reform. He created the Environmental Protection Agency and the Occupational Health and Safety Administration to expand working rights and wanted healthcare reform stronger than Obamacare. So while he was implementing this extremely repressive and, you know, strong kind of reforms for deregulation, privatization in Chile, he was actually making the economy stronger and working rights better in the US. But much net later, neoliberalism was credited to thinkers like Hayek during the interwar period, but it wasn't until much later under Reagan in the United States and then Thatcher in the UK that neoliberalism really began to be applied to the West as well. And so it was a little bit, in a way, the decades upon decades of neoliberalism that was inflicted upon Chile began to catch up with the West because the exact program of deregulation, privatization, was it undergoing in a in an excessive form again in in these sort of Western countries. So one of the quotes summarizing the extent of neoliberalism that hit the United States was from the late 1970s to the late 1980s, corporate PACs, which is the political action committee in the United States, increased their expenditure in a congressional races fivefold. Labor spending only rose about half as fast. So by 1980, Unions accounted for less than a quarter of all PAC donations, down from half six years earlier. And that was because of how extensively the union movements were smashed mm. under Reagan. But it followed almost exactly the same constitutional, you know, reform, well, reforms that occurred under the constitutional model of Chile. In Australia, we have an even closer link to Chile, which it's not really talked about enough. So the link with Chile becoming the later model that would hit our country in turn was much more obvious because Gough Whitlam actually ordered ASIO agents who were assisting the CIA pull out of the coup that they were participating in in Chile and essentially, you know, called for them to, to end their participation in it. When they refused and took orders from British and CIA intelligence ag agencies instead, it actually triggered the beginnings of Gough Whitlam taking on more drastic measures to try and secure an independent foreign policy for Australia. So he actually ordered a raid on the ASIO officers for them to re reveal what they were you know, not sharing with our own political classes, but they were in fact sharing information with British and US intelligence services instead. And he later, among other things, obviously pulling the troops out of Vietnam as well, he later threatened <laughs> the Yanks with closing down Pine Gap. So for those of you who don't know what Pine Gap is, it's the CIA base in the desert of Australia. And he eventually, he was ousted in what we now know, thanks to the investigative journalist John Pilger, was a coup. And the CIA agent involved in the coup against Whitlam called it a Chile-style coup. So <gasps> everything came completely full circle. Then, of course, replaced by the British-backed Harold Holt, you know, after the dismissal by the Governor-General that was essentially really just a, I guess, a veil for what actually was happening on behind the scenes. And he was deeply unpopular in many ways. And we kind of slowly went from full employment, a strong welfare state, free education, to a gradual decline towards neoliberalism. And it was the Chile coup that was the kind of trigger for that in Australia. So yeah, I find it an interesting link that we have oh there. My God. <laughs> I mean, everything that I've known about Whitlam's dismissal, I'm just like, there's got to be more to it than this. And then when you said oh, yeah. that, I'm just like, well, that that's just clears it up. But even Harold Holt, how he just like disappeared into a river one day. You're like, well, what happened there? <laughs> like, well, I mean, not to get all five G about it, but like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I get you. Three G chess, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. He was backed by British intelligence and CIA. So if he went missing. <laughs> I'd, I'd proffer that it was a Gough Whitlam fan, maybe. <laughs> By design, I mean, not, not a bloody shark or whatever people generally think it is. This is something that they used in Chile, and it's something that they later used against Australia. There's actually a, a really good movie about this, Falcon and the Snowman. It's really surreal if you watch it, because it's a movie where it's essentially about an American who eventually became a whistleblower on the CIA. And one of the things that he whistleblew on was uh, 
CIA infiltration of Australian trade unions. And uh, it's so surreal watching a Hollywood film being made about this where they kind of openly talk about, you know, infiltrating their allies. I mean, it's obviously not surreal to people from the global south, like people like Chile who've like known this stuff for ages. But because it's something that's shrouded in so much propaganda in places like Australia, it's just not something you expect normally. So yeah. But Yena, you know, I was commenting with Leah that I, for example, don't know about the story of Chile from the radicals Mm. to the end of the dictatorship. Like Mm. at least like I finished high school in 2006. So at least when I was in high school, I don't really learn about that at all yeah you know yeah. some things happen but in, even in the books don't they don't talk about dictatorship they talk about a military government mm. in that time mm. imagine mm. like it's so it's so a taboo that we know because they made you at least what i hear around me but because the social class and people around me they say pretty much that people lie about it that's lies mm. that didn't happen and then you start to grow and meet people in university that university you met mix of different kind of people and backgrounds and everything and you start to think that the shit were real and then you start to learn more about well, I really was a fan of history so I started to study by myself and it's like everything is connected with a, a Cold War and the tactics our current president was one of the Chicago boys the Chicago boys was an elite group of Chilean men, rich ones that went to United States to study to Harvard paying by mm. Pinochet that bring all this new kind of economical system back to Chile. Mm. And that is mm-hmm. our current president. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's everything how you say, a whole circle mm. that in the end we have, again, Americans fucking in other countries for fight their wars because they never, they never, mm. they never fuck, well, they fuck their own land, but they destroy other ones more yeah. than themselves. They bring and their wars outside. And not many people really know much about this either, but a really common thing that the CIA do through one of their front groups called the National Endowment for Democracy, they have programs that are sort of relatively innocuous seeming at first where they have social programs it can even sound feminist sometimes like it could be a pro-women social program or it could be a human rights social program or whatever else at the time they use that to pick people in a particular social groupings in a particular country that they want to infiltrate or undermine and then they take them back to the united states they train them up they give them all of these sort of like economic privileges or social privileges And then they essentially, you know, use them as the voice of the country. And they will essentially just repeat the Washington line that they want them to repeat. Mm. And they do so constantly under the guise of, we want more democracy, we want more... And and this is the thing, is like, you know, I support real grassroots human rights feminism, but often the CIA use the the language of, like, women's rights or feminism to undermine a lot of these Mm. nations as well. So, yeah, various different things. Like, they, they did that in Bolivia most recently as well, so... Cool. But yeah, com- completely ignoring the indigenous women we were just talking about, <laughs> the ones the ones who wanted mass in power. Yeah. I, one of the things that really like blew my mind was when you were talking about how the American government essentially created the shortages in Chile and then they used yeah. the fact that, that people were lining up for sugar and for flour and for food as a way to show that socialism didn't work. Yeah, so one of the the purported memories of the Allende years was of there being like shortages in basic commodities, like you're saying, like oil or sugar. But we know now that this was completely artificially created and we're seeing it as a model for undermining socialist economies that the US doesn't like to this day. Mm. Obviously, Venezuela has been facing these exact issues, but they're Shortages in basic commodities are also exactly a result of U.S. design Mm -hmm. because of U.S. sanctions and U.S. global pressure to sanction these countries, particularly as a result of sanctions from countries that, you know, like places like Venezuela and Chile relied on for food imports. And so we've been seeing this exact tactic as well in Bolivia and Cuba has been facing it for decades. They've managed to overcome a lot of it nowadays because Cuba produces a lot domestically so that they don't have to rely as much on the global economy, yeah. but Venezuela still hasn't, they still haven't um, managed to transition away from reliance on certain economies as much. And so that's one of the reasons why they had, you know, these near famines mm-hmm. for quite a while. Yeah. And so, you know, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a two-sided model because 
then the US elites can look at point to these countries and say, well, these people are starving and that's what socialism is. Mm. It's starving. Yes, um, yes. So the coup was a Nixon administration coup, but more than that, it was a Rockefeller coup. So for those who don't know, the Rockefellers are major business magnates. Um, and yeah, very. Has big. his own center. So, so, I mean, <laughs> Yeah. So prior to the coup, the US had actually flooded Chile with US capital and appointed people to overseeing the long-term security investments in Chile. So a lot of people theorized that this was actually an initial tactic that they were using because they suspected that uh, Allende might win the election. Mm-hmm. So they were using it because that way you had a significant portion of the capitalist class who then relied on Chile not becoming socialist. Can, can, I, um, can I just add that, just the context that Allende was in the 60s? That's it. Maybe people don't know who is Allende, that's why. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. Height of the Cold War. Yeah. So top. So the, some of the top US officials held a series of meetings within two weeks of Allende's election to plan ways to undermine his socialist government. And so Rockefeller and Donald Kendall, the CEO of Pepsi Cola, who also had close ties to President Nixon. For fuck's um, sake! Dis- what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Of, I mean, of course, they all have. You should they see. All, they all... You should see Leah. She's like red. She's she's getting red. <laughs> For fuck's sake! Oh my god! Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I'm just. My brain is melting. I'm so sorry. Keep going. This is capitalism, my friends. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> So they both discussed Chile with Kissinger. For those who don't know, Kissinger was the US Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor under Nixon. And they had, we now have some declassified documents on that, which of course, you know, they, they then said, as I said before, Kissinger's declassified documents basically said that this is a problem because you can't buy Allende off, but there's a chance that Allende might be overthrown and we need to make the economy scream. And, you know, of course, Pepsi Cola as well, they had a stake in all of this because they had extensive investments and a large amount of their production supply chain was in Chile. So the threat of socialism meant a cheap labor force and perhaps even their investments there completely disappearing, right? So Jack Devine was one of the major CIA agents in charge of orchestrating the coup, and he actually laid up fully detailed the three different, what they called tracks. So they had track one, track two, and track three for ousting Allende. So this was very planned from the beginning. The first was flooding Chile with anti-socialist propaganda. The second, as I already said, was to make the economy scream, and then was to unleash the military junta and um, violence on the people of Chile. So the justification at the time was, as you can imagine, that because this was during the Cold War, was to curb the influence of the Soviet Union. But of course, Chile was a country coming to socialism autonomously as well, you know, and ultimately their real concern was not losing a base of cheap labor and cheap resources. And that's that's really the, the reason that the capitalist classes in America are so scared of socialist revolutions in South America in general, because these places have always been glorified, you know, bases for their large monopolies for to, you know, extract cheap labor and cheap resources consistently yes. from the people. Especially mining. Chile is a country with a huge port because Chile is pretty much just ocean. We are like, it's just a coast, you know, so we are one of the biggest ports in South America and we have so many mineral resources on the mm-hmm. desert, the Cordillera. So yeah, South America is pretty rich, but if you see who owns the mines, it's not Chile. It's not Chile. Yeah, exactly. And that and that was one of the reasons I think they implemented the coup against um, Bolivia more recently because they were planning to nationalize their lithium. Mines. Yes. Bit of a bit of a funny coincidence there. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked. So. I'm just totally shocked. It's, so, <laughs> it's a it's a crazy, really interesting story because I think that it's not South America. It's, I think like that happened in Africa too. In the end, like it's just countries that they use of course, them. Yeah, you know, it's, it's of we are all connected. It's the same way mm. capitalism. Right there. Yeah, mm. but sorry, continue. <laughs> But Allende yeah. as well, like from what I read about him, like how he came into politics, like he was a doctor, wasn't he, to start with? And he came into politics because he recognised uh, the disadvantage in, of the poor and the working class and how they mm. needed more socialist Marxist policies to improve 
the health and well-being of the country. So his ethics and, and morals were from a really good place. So yeah. there's no way that the Americans or Nixon or anyone like that could have actually corrupted him, which yeah, is and why, because, I suppose. Sorry, he come from a movement called the Radicals. So they were coming, I think, from the 50s or 60s. I don't remember. Like Everyone really... Believe it or not, contemporary story of Chile. You make it sound there. like a really cool like gang war with like the radicals and the yeah, Boston. And, and, <laughs> but it was this, yeah, but it was this movement of people because Chile being like civil war with Spain, like mm. we have a parliament, no president, so it was a mm. process too. Chile's everything always within a revolutionary country. That's true. Yeah, always. And and the thing is like he come from that movement, but he start to take like the socialism. Yes, but mm. before we had kind of. Pre- that they start with that idea to like give education to kids, uh, the poor mm. kids, uh, mm. create more teachers, make a school for make teachers, you know, like, mm. so there's, it's a movement that come from before, but at the end it was like the big, 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 mm. the last one that the very one was like so many expectations. And um, the truth is not only United States, you too have to think about the little people that usually is rich people that they didn't like it because in Chile we have this kind of like the owner of the land and the people that work in the land. So in Chile it was too a new thing that people hate that they take the lands that they, they, these rich people take mm. stealing from other ones in the end and exploiting other ones. And they decided to divide it with people. You mm. know, they decided to mm. divide these huge lands to give to other people that have been working there for years to make things more equal. Anyway, they're fucking rich. They've been exploiting people for hundreds of years. Slaves. And land reform to, and land reform to, yeah, to benefit indigenous people. Exactly. As well. That's why they, for them, rich ones plus uh, of course, militaries, they come from the same elite and always they have a kind of proud that made your, I don't know, in their minds, but it's just obsession with them. I don't know. Yeah, they can start to create that. I think even the people in Chile, they give their gold to, to give to like give money to Pinochet continues there. Like, so it's, it's mm. too, I blame United States. Yes, I blame capital, uh, capitalism, of course. But I think too, in, same, in Chile too, we have that classism and superiority that we don't want to mix. They don't want to share their air with someone that come from other background, you know, because it's like mm. you brown or you are Aboriginal or your last la- name is common. You look common. You're little. You are not blonde, but you know. It's it's also, it's not something that came easy to Chile either. I mean, like the official Truth Commission reports say that 3,200 Chilean citizens were executed or murdered, but 38,000 were political prisoners. Yeah. And that who all survived detention and torture and another 100,000 experienced shorter detention periods and mass raids on working class yes. areas. So there's just this like extreme and intense, yeah. I presume, intergenerational kind of enforced division mm. that is now the picture of Chile today. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I can only imagine the intergenerational trauma yeah. that comes as a result of that in, our parents are traumatized well. people our parents are someone that can work 45 hours per week and get paid minimal mm. wage uh, that is 400 dollar per month american dollar per month mm. 45 mm. hours per week and they will never say nothing about it because it's that f- uh, fear to the authority that fear to the police so mm. they have that kind of the boomers are like uh, you know Mm. But that's what come our mm. nation that we born in, like we born in democracy, uh, and mm. we have a different, you know, point of view. But yes, it's a really traumatized society. That's why mm. for us that when Piñera sent the militaries in less than twenty four hours to the streets, it was mm. terrifying because we mm. know that they can do. That's the thing that I think that sometimes we talk about in other countries, but we have to look ourselves like as a, as a country too, as a, as a community. And it's like, what is going on that our military don't think about it, don't doubt to oppress their own people that asking mm. for better life. You don't mm. asking for nothing else. No. So, mm. so many things to change. Well, I think sometimes when movements are strong enough, eventually elements of the military develop some humanity and, you know, they move over to the side of the people but oftentimes that generally doesn't happen but 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 you're right and uh, you've said it before danny is that you know the they have to fear the people and i think they're finally getting to a point where that's happening in chile again yeah yes you have to fear the people (laughs) what um sorry i'm not sure when pinochet actually came into power 
the seventy three. Yeah, but wasn't that through a coup? He, he was. He was the the US installed dictator. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I was trying to get it um straight in my mind. Like, how where did Pinochet actually came from? He was literally installed by the Americans. And he yeah. literally yes. bombed the house of the president. That's how he did it. Yeah. We went he was to, assassinated. He just went to the, with tanks and started to shoot people and bomb the house of the president, like the, the parliament, the, la moneda, did, we call it. Didn't I read it. that Allende killed himself with a, a Kalashnikov? And like, that, by, by yeah. killed himself, I mean, like, how do you kill yourself with a rifle? Yeah. No, no, he was bombed, but he didn't die there. But you have two stories. One, they said that he's killed himself. or the one said he was killed. Yeah. yeah. And i know not even sure uh, how he did it. Like, I, like, I think that I, I think they killed him, of course. Like, I don't yeah. have doubt about it. I don't think he will leave the people yeah. that he was, you know, but they yeah. teach you. Yeah. That he I don't want to get back I'm on thinking. my 5G is the virus bus. But yeah, I'm pretty sure he did not kill himself. 47. No, <laughs> with an AK, yeah. with an AK forty-seven. Sorry, he had one under his desk. I mean, <laughs> everyone had one. You know, it does not weird. Oh no, he would have had access to one, but I'm just like, how? I mean, excluding how tricky that would be. Yeah, um, like, <laughs> I think I've seen mainstream media report that he was assassinated. Yeah. So I think it's widely accepted now that he probably was. Yeah. So then you had Pinochet, and that was one in the seventies. So then was it nineteen eighty that he? installed this constitution. constitution. Yeah. yeah. The 81. 81. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So awesome. How'd that yeah. go? Basically, <laughs> pretty bad. This yeah. constitution was like at first anti-constitutional, of course, and it was made by um, a Guzman that he was a super mega winnie uh, <laughs> winner, like mega Catholic, <laughs> like super, super opus. Remember that I was telling you guys before about the Opus Day? The what? Like this group of Catholic mm-hmm. people, super, super oh, yeah. conservative that they, yeah. they believe yeah. that women don't have even used condoms or anticonceptive. Well, he was one of them and <laughs> he was the, he made the constitution and they make it in the way that everything in Chile is private. So in a constitution, right? I going to I don't know if I'm right and I want to try to make it really simple. So in a constitution, right, you you should be say everyone, for example, have the right to have a good health and education. For mm-hmm. example, everyone have the chance to choose the the health that they want. That can be public or private. So that means that the state don't have to give you a good public health, you know, because um, it's just a, because you have the chance to choose. You can pay or you can go to the public. But anyway, they don't make sure that the public is they give you dignity is good for yeah. everyone. And that's yeah. a problem. So what happened is the state is sub, a subsidiary. I don't know the name in English, but it's when they they never have nothing the state do nothing they always help you if the private can do it for example like for example the streets like the the big big whole uh, streets on hi the one that you drive really fast and you can go from one state the freeways for example that Mm -hmm. is done by private but if the private can do it then the state will help you a little bit so they leave all the jobs to the private so everything mm-hmm. Chile can mm-hmm. be private and a business. So mm-hmm. basically, that's what it happened with health, with education, with everything, even the water. The water is private in Chile, and that's crazy. Someone so, owns the water. That's in the constitution, yes, which is crazy. There's no other constitution in the world that has the enshrined right yes. to privatized water. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got the choice of using, say, a road that will get you directly to where you want to go, or you can use the government road that will take you twice as long. Yeah, or, and or you don't have a government long. road. Or it just doesn't just exist. Doesn't. So, doesn't exist. Got, so what we used to call this in mental health nursing is the illusion of choice. I was in California not too long ago, and they have all these signs as you go along the road where they say, like, are you a small business in the area? Like, donate to the road. And so basically every single part of a different road is owned by a different business or, you know, it's like considered something that private businesses have to contribute to because it's largely not the, their highways and freeways are largely not government owned. So I assume it's, that's pretty much the same situation in Chile. 
and you have to pay yeah. so much guys for use them oh that's intense. it's so much you go and it's one then another one we call them peajes and it's like it's ten dollar each time you pass in some places ten dollar each time you pass and imagine if you do less than four hundred dollar Mm. And you need to use that. But anyway, someone like that don't have a car neither anyway. It's the truth mm. is have a car in Chile is a privilege. We, mm. It's so expensive. It's so, the mm. petrol. Yeah, Chile is everything a privilege. And if you don't have it, you are lazy. That's the other thing that I think capitalism create. They make believe that people that believe in socialism always poor too. It's lazy. You know? That, that whole narrative so about with socialists, they've run out of other people's money. That whole line that capitalists use when I'm just like, I'm sorry, but what do you think taxes are? Like if socialism and yeah. communism is other people's money, what do you think a taxation is? It's it's just mind-boggling. Yeah. The problem is that the majority of people who think that are people who would actually have to contribute the most to society because they earn the most. Yes. I mean, obvi- aside aside from obviously people like, the actual monopolies who who pay zero tax, exactly <laughs> like Amazon and so on. Yeah, but that that whole narrative around like socialists and communists being lazy is just it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd, but it's so enshrined yeah. in their belief system. Yeah. I- so with the constitution, they made like what twenty amendments before they decided to get rid of it. Yeah. Like, I just, I feel like that sort of relates back to Australian politics. Like, you can't just incrementally try and change a broken system. We've just got to just get rid of it and start again. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yes, it is because yeah. it's, the, it's the frame. It's the frame, the problem. It's the beginning. Like, they, the one of the logos of the opposition of the new constitution was uh, reformar para mejorar. Means fix to get better. So they mm-hmm. are still with that speech that we don't need to change the constitution, we should just make new laws that can fix it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in the same week that they start with that, they reject a, a sexual education reform in education, oh. because it, and they reject, um, I don't remember, another project because they said it was anti-constitutional. So what do you mean? We can do nothing because everything is anti-constitutional. Everything mm-hmm. that is about woman's right like uh, like i don't know forest ecos- ecology like everything you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, i don't know like a new kind of energy uh, i don't know better health everything is anti-constitutional so yeah. how are we going to fix it because you can you you know the constitution is the base of the law so you know if it's the constitution don't allow me to do it that's the excuse that they have always so then yeah yeah that's why we have to do it again, because mm. if not, we can mm. change anything. Yeah, and especially when, the, like, essentially the base is all, they're all corrupt, so they're they're actively working to stop any type of progress. And then you can look very quickly to what Trump's doing in the moment with, like, the voter suppression at the moment. Mm, let's talk about that. I don't know yeah. much, so I want to hear. Oh, <laughs> look, I'm not exactly across it myself, but how he's trying to suppress the black vote with the voter ID laws – At the federal level, the Help America Vote Act of 2002 requires voter ID of all new voters in federal elections who register by mail and who do not provide a driver's license, which kind of sounds okay off the bat, but it discriminates against people who maybe don't have have ID. Is that a new law? It started in 2006 in Indiana. 33 states out of the 48 states have implemented the law. So when he was in Wilmington, North Carolina... He was like, let them send in a mail-in ballot and let them go vote and essentially encouraging people to commit voter fraud, which on on the surface he's like trying to get people to commit fraud, but underneath what he's actually doing is undermining the process, stopping people from being encouraged to, to mail in their ballots, which we know a lot of people won't do because of, you know, the coronavirus, but also how he's interfering with the um, USPS, that the Postal Service blocking access and it's very obviously a, a, a method of stopping people from voting against him yeah i mean it wouldn't surprise me if voter fraud happened in the u.s because i mean 
their their system is just so bureaucratically incompetent in general. <laughs> I mean, for example, the, their entire tax system, not that I'm saying taxes are bad, taxes are great, but their entire tax system, the way it's set up, is so barbaric that, uh, you know, it disencourages even the most sane person from wanting to try to do their taxes. So it wouldn't surprise me if people could get away yeah. with voter fraud purely because of bureaucratic incompetence to begin with. <laughs> but yeah, I have no clue. It, it's really hard to kind of say which way things are going to swing in the US election at the moment because I think we'd be we'd be wrong to make the assumption that everyone made during the last election that you know like everyone thought Hillary was a shoe in if we were going to assume that Biden is a shoe in now I think no. we'd be missing a trick I, yeah, I feel exactly. that Trump yeah. could win totally and I do yeah I do too and honestly uh, totally and even if Biden does win I think that Trump will find a way to stay in power, like by discrediting voters in a certain electorate or there'll there'll be some mechanism that he'll use. Kind of, you know, Bush did it. I I think Trump will find a way to maintain his seat, potentially, maybe. I mean, hopefully not. Even then, when we when it comes to sort of economic policies around neoliberalism, you know, I mean, one of the reasons why I think that, I mean, I, I, I've noticed that a lot of the US comrades and sort of younger people feel pretty disillusioned by Biden and mm. they have a very good reason yeah, not, to be. Yeah, it's not great, um, though. It's not <laughs> so great. for Biden, yeah. guys. What a campaign. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I fail to distinguish most of the time the major differences when it comes to neoliberal economic policy between the Republicans and the Democratic Party. I mean, you know, like, Truman was a deeply popular president, but he began regulation of the airlines and various other forms of US infrastructure before Reagan came into power. All of these people, like, they do these little jabs at the economy that most people, if they aren't um, engaged in some kind of serious resistance or like, like organized resistance, don't really like notice at the time. And I think one of the the scariest things, honestly, would be for a Democrat like Biden to be in power and him not to be experienced anywhere near as much grassroots resistance. You know what I mean? Because people are under this illusion that he's kind of all of their problems are going to go away. I mean, I've seen a lot of the Democrats in the U.S., literally think that coronavirus would go away yeah. if Biden was in power mm, like mm, wouldn't mm. even like there wouldn't be a global pandemic right now mm, mm, mm. <laughs> it's very confusing to me yeah I understand um people have just been blowing my mind recently and I just why how would Biden <laughs> do that mm. But it's so this is yeah exactly. But I think it's the feeling because now, for example, people's like, we want the new constitution. Everything is going to be better. But it's like, dude, it's so much to work. Everything takes time. No one is the savior of anyone. You know that the thing about United States. I think one of the biggest issues that they have is the executive power. Uh, executive power had too much power. Like the president has too much power and that's not possible because it's one, per- you can't allow one person have all that power. Like we're talking yeah, about this exactly. dude is being like, I will say killing people, like being completely unresponsible uh, and is still there. How is possible? Like how someone like that, well, it will happen in my country. Like why is Pinyin is there? I don't know. But it's still there. But you know what I mean? Like, that's my problem sometimes with this mm. kind of power. Like, one person, even they come for a party, whatever, is, is, is scary. And they can fix everything at once. So, yeah. I can't. I Seriously, I keep being like, every time you speak, I'm just like, what the fuck? And I can't remember <laughs> where we're at. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't, don't um, apologize. It's definitely not your fault. Oh, my God. So, the Chilean population really came together. Oh. What was the word that you said, like everyday revolutions, Gemma? Yeah, there are really radical transformations in the way that people conceive of themselves, in the ways in which they conceive of their place in society. So what happened to Chile is what I call everyday revolutions, Mm. transformations in how people saw their place in society and saw an opening to act. Yeah. So, you know, people were challenging their bosses for the first time. People were reimagining how education every part of their workplaces should function Mm. how can we get that kind of grassroots boots on the ground activism that 
it's it's like a, a change in the social consciousness is a well i mean what i do think about the australian left and the and what are the problems with the western left in general i think we are a product of neoliberalism mm. and we kind of repeat neoliberalism in a way that we don't realize because of the fact that we tend to organize around what we're against Yep. And obviously there's not there's nothing wrong with that. That, you know, we oppose sexism, we oppose racism, we oppose the privatization of education, etc. But we don't ever really paint a vision of what we want. And oftentimes the problem with that is that we don't agree on what we want. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, I think I think one of the things that we have kind of failed to do in the West is take to ordinary people the concept of how they can change society and what is actually possible. Mm. Because I think one of the things that you commonly see, particularly in England and Australia, it's a really cultural thing to kind of just sort of naturally hate your political leaders, regardless of whether they're good or not. Mm. You know, it's just like, it feels normal to us to just be cynical and hateful about our political leaders all the time. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's because of the fact that we don't really envision something better for the working class. And I, I think, you know, there are people like us who do, but in general, we don't go to people and say, you know, here's what we could have. Here's, here, here is the social reforms that we could have. Here is the way that we could maybe nationalize the banks, nationalize, you know, various forms of our um, productive economy. Mm. Let's bring manufacturing back. Let's, let's do all of these things, which would make massive benefits for you on an individual day-to-day basis. Mm. Instead, we go to m- most ordinary people and we say like, do you support like racism? Okay, if you do, then fuck you. <laughs> you know, like such nuance. Like, which is yeah, exactly. Like, there's not much. You know, like a socialist alternative is a great example of that. I've literally seen them scream down a farmer being like, why don't you collectivize your farm now? You know, or just being like, you know, yelling to people about how they should be overthrowing their workplace. Like it, it just, <laughs> they don't, they don't go to people and say like, this is what we could do mm. if we built a great society. No, instead it's like, you're a reactionary or you're, you're, you're right wing and here's why, right? Yeah democratize the workplace but simultaneously not have an option for redistribution of wealth under a capitalist government like it's just fucking stupid yeah anyway yeah but i think that's one of the reasons why countries like chile cuba dprk even china during the the revolution and then the cultural revolution i mean these people didn't build movements on reactions to things that were occurring they built movements on a vision of something better Mm -hmm. and i think that's what we need i think we need a unified vision of something better and until we get that we won't we won't have that kind of culture you know yeah no absolutely yeah i agree with that totally that's that's yeah Hi guys, it's so good. It's I think that that's the cool about this thing that happened in Chile for me. The most important was that uh, we we always say now that we see each other because we didn't. Mm-hmm. And I see sometimes our privilege make us blind. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably that's what's happening like white countries or like not white countries, but like with with a more can more people is white. That in the end, like, you don't really see what affects you. You don't see the reality that is First Nation people or an immigrant or be just, like, poor, you know, or or have mental illness. You don't see it. It's not a reality. It doesn't exist. And it's not like that. But that things that things happen and you start to see the other ones when you um to like you have voices that show you that and i think to like it, i don't blame you much though because you don't have for example a history of revolution that south america has you know and that's oh, the we've difference. got eureka stockade yeah <laughs> <laughs> because even the wars that you have you have it outside of australia mm-hmm. you know what i mean you never yeah live really like what is like a civil mm. war or anything so it's a different kind of mentality but i think the most important is like yeah see the other one look at them like really mm. look at them like think why this is happening why why these people is i don't know have these problems why what is the, what is happening with education what we doing why, why you are still having why the combat is happening in places when we have more a poor people or, or refugees. It's not because they are refugees, because probably the conditions that they live are terrible. What are we doing about it? Let's go to fix that. Mm-hmm. And that's is that's it. It's just look at actually stop look the people. And and that's mm-hmm. that's one of what we say. We we see each other now, you know? Mm-hmm. 
hopefully it will happen everywhere too. Like we, if this works in Chile, we will be a good example that people actually can change things. And that's one of the most important things too, because in Australian society, if you raise socialism or communism with the average person, they're going to say, yes. well, what about, you know, Stalin killed a jillion people or Mao killed a gajillion people. Like what, do, that's evil communism. So we have to, we have to explain communist societies on their own terms mm. to Australian workers and explain the nuances and where, where they were successful. And if we don't do that, and if we just kind of constantly say, no, like ours won't be like that, we'll have something completely different from what the rest of the world did. <laughs> I don't I don't think we'll be successful in convincing people. You know no. what I mean? Is there any examples of like a socialist or a communist leader that wasn't a man? Because I do feel like toxic masculinity and control is a big part of why those <laughs> movements went so horribly genocidally like <laughs> everything that, in i don't know general? if that makes sense like everything, no, everything probably. in general no no but like well, I, I feel I, like if there was more of a feminist perspective when we were talking about socialist and communist movements then the outcomes would likely be different yeah 100 percent. yeah that's what I, I mean i think that a lot of these communist societies regardless who was running them actually did lift up women's place in society significantly before most of the West did. You know, you guys know Lee Rhiannon from the Australian mm. Greens, right? She she went to the Soviet Union in her sort of heyday, and she was a part of the Women's Institute of Science where women were training to become cosmonauts, I think maybe 10 or 20 decades before women in the, the mm. West were. Yeah. And we are also, we have to understand that, of course, the, you have to, I think it's best to compare societies like, the, the Chinese Revolution and the revolution that eventually formed the Soviet Union were happening alongside what was occurring in the West at the time, right? Because obviously we have to view the, the role of women's progression over time. Mm. And so I would argue that women's places in those societies were significantly better. Oh, some, even, even better than in not, some parts of the West now. Not what I'm saying. Like, I totally agree. And I, oh, yeah, right. no, yeah. I just, I think that the men who, even though their values, ethics, beliefs, and their politic was all very Marxist and communist and socialist, they were still underpinned by the need to control and the need for power, which is, even though obviously women can still do that, like high Thatcher house things, but like a, <laughs> a feminist perspective doesn't share that same need for power and control. No, no. I think that's that's the only point I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah. Not I, that women, I, I'm with yeah. You. I, I understand yeah. that 100%. So we need feminist women in power. That's in the end. <laughs> <laughs> we need like real democracy better communities like talk each other like realizing that in the end a community together is stronger than any government or president or whatever is in the top so let's go to hope <laughs> let's go to hope that the good this change is good for everyone and for australia too because australia is a really lucky country too in the end and i think it's a great country has so many good things and the freedom to to do a lot of things too so definitely you can always get better any country is the best country in the world that doesn't exist and if you think like that it's when you don't get better so it's mm -hmm. always things mm -hmm. that you have to fix yeah that's the problem with united states they always say we are the best country in the world no you are not that's why the whole you are now yeah you know just always start to get better and it's the most awesome is that the power that now feminist movement and women have for me is the most important. I think it's one of the big factors actually in the revolution in Chile was the feminist movement and mm -hmm. it will be everywhere. So get ready, people. Bye. <laughs> As my Palestinian comrade says, we must always be in the struggle. Yes. <laughs> yes. It never ends. It's true. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jenna, then, to be with us today. Uh, Thanks so much for yeah. having me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leah, to, to give me a space to uh, for a speak about what happened in Chile. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the people that listen to this episode, too. Uh, we can always learn from the other one. So, muchas gracias a todos. Eh, viva Chile. Yay. Ganamos. El apruebo ganó. So, yeah. Have a great, great, good, guys. Uh, enjoy the the freedom but be careful with it yeah let's go to take care of each other so thank you so much guys have a great week bye bye thanks everyone bye, bye.